Hey guys, welcome to part two. I suggest if you haven't done so already to go watch part one, which came out earlier this week. But without further ado, here's our part two. Entire chapter about the, it's called Chasm Duty, right? Yep. Uh, Bridgeford gets put on Chasm Duty, uh, where they're going down and they're just like salvaging the, the crevices between planes um i believe uh for random swords armor supplies anything that, that fell down there um and it was, it was an interesting thing i th i was really excited to see it because we get to see what it's like down in these in these deep crevices this is also the crevices that like chasm fiends like live mm -hmm. right um they live they live in these deep down crevices so um I thought that was super cool. I was really excited, whatever uh, it said they were going down there, uh, to see what kind of mysteries would be, what kind of questions we might get answered. All right, so I I got. I was just gonna tag along on the the chasm part of that. I was super curious to see what was gonna be down in the in the chasms as well, and as they as they descended into the the chasms in between the plateaus all the descriptions that i was i was getting i'm just envisioning them it almost felt like they were descending into the underworld almost where it's a world that's not even like the surface there's different creatures there there's slime and there's all this fungus and stuff growing around that and then there's all these dead bodies here and it it definitely seemed like they were going into a different world almost as they went down in the chasm all right right here I want you guys both to open up this picture that I have sent you. There is some okay. wonderful fan art in the Stormlight Archive fandom. And I got this artist's permission. Her name is Lirena. And she has done some fan art of this title. This, uh, this piece is called Chasm Duty. I will put it up on screen for our viewers. And I, I love this piece. It is she did such a good job. I will link I will link her cool. in the description below for you guys. She does um, some other stuff, um, Stormlight Archive related, so you can go look at that. And uh, I just wanted you guys to uh, see the uh, see this piece. Any thoughts? So my biggest thought was I envisioned um in my 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 very limited imagination i'm not i'm not a great uh envisioning it is very straight crisp sides you know just plain rock plain like ground down the sides mm -hmm. and at least in this in this depiction it's all like grown and uneven and unpredictable almost along the walls um and such but it is pretty accurate i guess to what i envision of seeming underwater you know it's kind of like a greenish blue like it looks like plants and moss all over the place um but a very cool i mean i really like that it's super cool looking um elliot thoughts i i totally i, I totally agree with you paul my my mental image of this when i read it was kind of of a of a canyon with pretty smooth sides of kind of rock slab but 
as I, as I reevaluate that mental image that I had, I don't think what I was thinking of really captures the, the creepiness of it. And, and this work, this, this bit of artwork totally does capture the creepiness of it. You know, I wouldn't be too scared to walk down the, the smooth side Canyon. Whereas I don't know that I want to walk down this Canyon here. You don't this, know what this you're picture. touching. Is... You don't know what's, yeah, what's there. Exactly. It's, it's all, it's all abnormal and, and gross weird exactly so very very well depicted in in a visual way the the creepiness and just that unsettling feeling that i think the bridgemen feel when they're down there i i feel that looking at this this picture yeah i what i had the same thoughts when i originally listened to this i did imagine straight like straight chasms maybe they twist a little bit and then down at the bottom there's like it's wider because of the the water runoff of high storms uh and uh yeah it's dark and creepy down there but when i saw this picture i i i love this picture it's so good all right i i wanted to i wanted to mention something specific here about the the bridgeman going down into the the chasms and and performing their chasm duty, which essentially is is grave robbing. It, it's basically what they're doing. I think they even mentioned that in the the chapter that that's that's what they're doing. And I, I noted that grave robbing is is kind of widely considered the lowest of the low things that, that you could do in your life. You're really really desperate if you're going and robbing graves to to get some money or something like that. Right. And it's just another example of. Bridgman being forced to do the worst of the worst. They're they're not even considered human. They're not even treated as they're they're lower than slaves. You wouldn't even make a slave do something like this. But they're they're sent in to to rob the bodies of the dead and bring back their their things. And it just shows just how low these these poor Bridgman are. Yeah. Before we get into specifics of the chasm duties and how the how the bridgemen interact in there i want to back up a little bit to the beginning of chapter 27 and kaladin and sill are walking in back into the apothecary shop to sell this knobweed sap and a couple different things happen here he the the apothecary walks back in to what walks in and greets Kaladin as if he's the old feeble man trying to scam and people that are coming in. He recognizes Kaladin, straightens back up. It's like, oh, hi. And Kaladin puts this uh, knobweed sap on the counter, and the apothecary is very out of his sorts very quickly. He does not want to admit to Kaladin what this is, how expensive this is, how how much he's willing to pay to keep this secret that uh, Kaladin is uh, Kaladin is understanding here. Uh, Elliot, do you want to expound upon this a little? Yeah, I do. Ka Kaladin figured out the 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 sap scam. I'm gonna call it. Yep. He he realizes in that moment there that he he's he's just going to sell the the apothecary the 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 sap, but the apothecary is like, oh, that's not worth anything. And Kaladin he realizes actually no this definitely is worth something i used it and i saw it work and he realizes in, in that moment that he can leverage this that he can hold this over the apothecary's head and use this as a source of income 
which was was pretty brilliant actually paul thoughts uh the all the moments the apothecaries or or i don't know storefront owners are always interesting to me and they always always try to do some form of tricking or acting naive or assuming the other person is naive or dumb and i thought it was interesting in that um he totally tries to to undercut or undercharge Kaladin for this. Uh, definitely trying to, to play him, but Kaladin. We also see a, rep- a repetitive theme of our respective protagonists being able to see through this, which I think is cool. Um, and he he kind of works around it and he gets one sky mark, isn't it? For it, I believe it's two, but yes. Okay, okay, that's what it was. Um, in which I, I don't remember all the currency. Isn't a sky mark like a sapphire? Yes. So the sky, okay. the sky is blue. So they're referred to as sky marks, the sapphires. Diamonds are clear. And so those are like diamonds are white and clear. So those are referred to as clear marks or clear chips. So mm-hmm. they, there's just a common phrase for diamonds and sapphires and that type of thing. And on the, the scale of most valuable, wasn't... Was it ruby or emerald that was the most? I believe so. It was expensive, it was and then it was emerald, right? I want to say emerald, ruby, and then maybe sapphire. It all has to do with what they can soul cast. Is yes. how they're they're based. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't remember. I see. I see, but anyways, I'm assuming a sapphire mark is pretty pretty good. Uh, like with at least some. Um, so do we know exactly what Kaladin's plans are for this? With this money he's earned off of the the knobweed sap, I know he's. Um, I mean, I know he's wanting like supplies and food for his men to help uh, them grow and and heal uh, from injuries and such. But I don't remember if there was an exact. He needs the certain amount so that he can get this certain item. Um, so, so I took it as he spent most of that, maybe not all of it, but most of it on the the stew that he makes for at the end of the chapter. That's really the the tipping point, the the moment where he wins over the the bridgeman of Bridge Four, where he he buys a cauldron and he buys all these different ingredients that Rock the chef can can cook up into this awesome stew so i i don't know if he's got any left over from that but i i took it that he he pretty much dumped most of that into the stew which which was a brave move for him i mean that was a lot of money to spend on one thing and he even has a moment in the chapter where he kind of doubts himself where he's thinking oh this is all a bit silly is this even going to work and then one by one the bridgemen come out of the the hut and they join him and that's that's the moment where he finally reaches them where they finally understand that he's there to, to help them. That's true. I had almost forgotten that. Well, I knew he did that, but I, I guess I forgot that that costs money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that was a really good moment. And um, there's kind of, kind of a, a good thought he had in that, you know, I can't get through to these men with, actions or i can't punish them they're at the lowest of lows but food 
no one's going to turn down some food, especially in that, some good food, especially in their situation. And so that that was a really good moment. And we saw a lot of, with your word singing also, they, they join in, in song and it, it kind of brings a lot of people together. And uh, it, it's a good start, starting ground for um, kind of building allegiance and a friendship between them. I I love that scene where they they're finally all sitting down around this this fire with the the stew and just singing songs and you could feel that camaraderie and it felt good because Kaladin's been working so hard over the last few Kaladin chapters to get to, to get to this point and he's hit a lot of brick walls where he's tried to inspire them and they they haven't done anything and then this was the breakthrough moment where he was where all it took was was some food and a good song to to bring all the men together. Yep, they, they certainly bonding over the campfire and even before that in back in the chasms, there, uh, Rock and Teft and Kaladin are all talking together in like kind of in the front as they're leading, um, the bridgemen through these chasms to salvage for whatever they can find, and Dunny is towards the front as well and he's kind of listening in Kaladin notices Dunny and includes him in this conversation um I think we've been told I don't remember this but I always envisioned Dunny as young D- Dunny is I envisioned him as a 17 year old kid who messed up doing something wound up in this bridge run he's young he's naive he's certainly more willing to not give up hope than the rest of these older bridgemen and uh rock and kaladin um have a good conversation with dunny and they they even sing a song and cal and rock joins him and uh the rest of the bridgemen aren't at at that point they're they aren't totally like on on par with kaladin and some of them even tell dunny to be quiet but they they get through it and onto the campfire in the in the evening. That's true. I had similar imagery of of Dunny in, in kind of a young kid, almost. You could you could tell that unlike the other bridgemen, he isn't so down in the dumps that he like refuses to ha- to try to ever have a nice time. Um, he he talk, they they conversate. They have nice like discussion and then it turns out he's a great singer and so um that shows up a few times of him him singing and so he he at least is willing to try to try and make something out of these situations um he's provided and so i think this is exactly the kind of bridgeman that that Calden's hoping for just someone who will talk and and at least want to uh, to grow and, and advance in some way, shape, or form, instead of the uh, the men who just show a, a, a true display of just hopelessness and having given up. He also does a kata, as he calls it, with a spear in front of all the bridgemen. So he get, he picks up this spear and gets heckled by some of the other bridgemen. I think Moash is the one who starts it. And Moash says, oh, you've probably, you, you've probably never even 
Heldespear, your lordship, as Gaz calls him, and Moash has kind of pulled that uh pulled that slur. Um, he calls him that as well. And Kaladin kind of loses loses it for a second and just like, alright, I'm gonna show him. And he does this it's this spinning like kata of showing it's it's a show it's a what you do in a parade it's from karate uh and it's just a a display of how fast you can move how fast you can move your body how fast you can move this tool that you have and all of the bridgemen are gobsmacked if you will they are they're all watching this and they're like wow that was impressive even even the ones who were just heckling him before and Teft and Rock, uh, right after he did it, uh, whispered to him. And Teft sees a spren, but we we figure that it's Sill spinning around him. And Teft is like, there was a spren spinning around you. And Kaladin looks at Sill, and she's like, refuses to refuses to look at him. Yeah, yeah. Yep. it wasn't me. Uh, don't worry about it. And it's. I I had a very clear image of this kata in my head of him doing jumps and spins and throwing this spear around and uh in the middle of this chasm. Yeah, I think of uh, a real world example of this. Um where we live is have you seen the people who have the signs and they spin the signs and throw them up to you know, yes. them on the street corners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is uh that is I'm sure this is the equivalent. Right. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Kaladin would have made a great sign spinner. Yep. Yes, he would have been an incredible sign spinner. <laughs> yeah. I I noticed some specific things about this this kata that he that he does. In fact, I, I want to read a couple sections because I also want to reference this back all the way to the very first chapter of the book. So I'll I'll read first what's in chapter 27 here when he when he performs this. So it says Kaladin spun through the last motions of the kata, chasm forgotten, bridgemen forgotten, fatigue forgotten. For a moment it was just him, him and the wind. He fought with her and she laughed. And then later on a few seconds later Teft is is kind of describing it and he says the speed, the grace and there was some sort of spren zipping around you between your sweeps, glowing with a pale light. It was beautiful, which is the, the reference to Syl we were just talking about. But that made me remember all the way back to chapter one, where Kaladin is, is fighting in the war as the, the squad leader. And there's the, the young boy from his squad who gets who gets injured, Sen. And we're, we're kind of seeing it from his perspective. And Sen, Sen sees this. For a moment... Sen thought he could see something surrounding the squad leader, a warping of the air, like the wind itself, become visible. And that that caught my eye the first time I read it, but now I'm starting to put a few things together. I, I wonder if that was Syl all the way back in that moment, and Kaladin wasn't aware of her at the time, but it talks about the wind become visible around him. Well, what could that be but, but Syl, the windspren who is around Kaladin and, and here again when he performs the kata here in the in the chasm she she dances with him if you will in this this performing so I 
I wonder if those are tied together, and and if not, then Kaladin definitely has some sort of affinity with with wind. But I I thought that was a cool parallel between now and and then. Yeah, I think that's a really good, like a really cool comparison, and it could be true that that Syl was following Kaladin around uh, from the beginning, and maybe she just had never appeared to him yet. Right. Exactly. I would also. What I was thinking whenever uh, it talks about how he fights with the wind and such that maybe you mentioned him having an affinity for wind that uh, perhaps um, there are like other windspren that also like are kind of attracted to him for whatever reason. Um, maybe they're not as intelligent as Syl, but they just have this natural affinity for him. Um and so they kind of cluster around whenever he, he has these moments, I guess, like the moment with Sen at the beginning. And this is kind of, you know, he has lots of moments, right? Mm -hmm. and, and in these moments, maybe Windsprint are into that. I don't know. Maybe they think <laughs> it's super cool. So they kind of <laughs> uh, crowd around him. But um, I, I am curious to see that because it's definitely, that seems very intentional. This kind of reoccurring theme of the the air and the wind and how he's storm blessed and then having yeah this little companion who's a wind sprint like it it too much is adding up there for it to not be be something cool. Okay. Any other observations before we move on to chapter twenty eight? Nope. Wait, Elliot, didn't you have a Kaladin theory? Was that your Kaladin theory? Oh, no. Yo, yes. Oh, good catch. I do have I do have another thought, and it is important. So, yes. Last episode, I, I postulated a theory about Kaladin and his his hatred, his revulsion for light eyes. And my my crazy out there theory slash hope was that he he got betrayed or backstabbed by light eyes specifically i was i was hoping it would be tied to him winning or or fighting a shard bearer specifically because in the the flashback chapters the his his friend growing up mentioned that if you could become a light eyes by acquiring a shard blade in battle and my theory was well maybe maybe kaladin did that maybe he defeated a shard bearer in battle but then was denied the actual shard himself by the light eyes and therefore he he hates that and there's a, a a hidden little little hint in here in this chapter that that is strengthening my my theory there that there there's a a point where one of the bridgemen is asking him about that and Kaladin's comment to himself was oh i tried that before but then right after that he's like oh i gotta keep my mouth shut about that and that immediately rung a bell in my mind of, ooh, I, I think I might be onto something here. Okay. All right. Was that him talking to Teft and Rock after the Kata, I believe, is when he mentions that? Rock, uh, Rock sees the Kata and mentions kind of offhand, maybe you should, maybe you should fight a shard bearer. And then Kaladin snaps at him and says, I already tried that. I believe that's the... Th yes, exactly. I believe that's the scene. Yes, thank you. I 
I forgot to write down the page number for that, so I, I couldn't look it up right there. But that's exactly what I was thinking of is is that it, that little interchange there between Rock and and Kaladin and Kaladin's little slip. I I really want this to be true. Yep. And then Teft uh, Teft is like, "Wait, you did what now?" And then Kaladin's like, "Where's Dunny?" And walks yeah. away. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've I've read this book a couple times. I can recount recount that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, int- good good theory. Any thoughts, Paul? I like that theory. That's a good one. I <laughs> I personally don't think that he like killed a shard bear and then was like denied a a blade. I don't know. I just couldn't see that happening. Maybe, but I I think there's. Perhaps you know he had a bad run in, I guess, trying to get a shard blade, and maybe he's very upset about it. But I don't think it was exactly he won and was denied. I don't, I can't, I can't tell you what I do think. I just, I'm not, I'm not sold on that at the moment. <laughs> okay, uh, okay, but all right, let's move on uh, to chapter twenty. Well, before we completely move on, bridge four is his is the end of chapter twenty seven. And Woo-hoo. that is my word, progress. He he feels he finally has a good grasp on Bridge 4, and now he has to get them to stay alive long enough for that to mean something. Mm-hmm. And that's how we leave Kaladin at the end of Part 2. Okay, now we can move on to Chapter 28. Uh, <laughs> so, Dalinar is not well. This chapter opens up with Adolin being afraid for his father he is he is frightened is how the chapter starts and he sees in his father's eyes this anguish this this tearing apart inside of dalinar that he that adolin put there adolin confronted him they've since made amends um in back in chapter 26 uh dalinar makes a makes a uh, a point to address his son as an adult forgive him for what he for what he said and you know that they, they, they make amends and adolin's fine with it but that next next chapter after the bridge after the the, the plateau run adolin sees that his father is not well dalinar is fighting in his mind of abdicating he is going to step down from High Prince, and that's a big deal. That is a very big deal for uh, for politics on the the Shattered Plains. He would need to go back to Alethkar, back to Kolinar, um, where the Kolin house is from, and retire there and leave Adolin to lead the house. And at the very end of Chapter 28, he resolves that, but that's not before... A bunch of pounding of rock and elliot you mentioned this a little earlier in the episode that he had a an epiphany of why aren't there shards to help the common man why didn't the knights radiant help the beggar with the stone as in the way of kings the way of kings says the beggar's trying to get up the hill with the the rock and noadon gets out of his carriage to help him why didn't the Knights Radiant do that? They have these shard blades, these shard plate, to enhance strength, to make it easier to cut stone, as you see uh, him do in Chapter 28. Why is there no mention of that? 
that's what Dalinar is wrestling with. And I gotta say, I'm I'm wrestling with it too. I'm I'm definitely alongside Dalinar in this, where he's asking a lot of good questions that I don't see obvious answers to. If if the Knights Radiant were so honorable and they were so out to protect the people why did they keep this technology for themselves and why was it used only only in battle or was that the case we we've already seen a couple examples where the knights radiant were a bit misunderstood so maybe they did actually do some of that and they just don't know about that or it's been misconstrued over the the millennia since then i don't know but i'm asking all the same questions delinar is right now I want to say that that's something that we'll we'll have answered. Um, I'm unsure if we'll ever find out why there's no shard hammers or <laughs> shard shovels. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I did really like how I, I briefly mentioned it before. How uh, Dalinar kind of hops in there with his shard plate on, right? And just grabs a big hammer and tells all the workers, "Get out!" and and he's gonna do this. And so he just goes he just starts smacking away at it and just does a ton of work um for these men and everyone's watching and everyone's confused and thinking he's just gone off the deep end he's about to i don't know be thrown into the loony bin you know he's just he yeah he people it's it's with that notion right like you said in the the way of kings uh, of like the king coming and helping the man with with the stone with his burden, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's basically acting that out in this situation, um, and everyone thinks he's really gone off the deep end. There's a scene at the beginning of chapter 28 which made me smile. Uh, I believe his second in command's name is Teleb. I don't I don't mm-hmm. remember if that's exactly how you say that, but uh, he tells teleb to tell the men to sit down and have a good time and then teleb runs over there and commands them like orders them sit down and have a good time and eleanor's like thanks but that's not really what i meant like you could have been a little nicer but yeah like if they are not sitting yep. and having a good time then they will be <laughs> prosecuted they will be in trouble right, exactly. you know uh, I, I did think that was very, very funny. He took things very, very literally. And so I just thought that was hilarious. Um, and it also goes to, I guess, show how unorthodox an order like that would be. Um, there, There's no... I, I bet Teleb had never had to, to do that before. But it also said he was a very literal person. Um, I mean, I don't know what what I would think if I was a laborer and my high prince walked up with full shard blade or with full shard plate. And it's like, yo, go sit down. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, don't you have something better to do? Like, okay, but aren't you busy? Like, yeah. At, At the same time, I think though, think of what an impact that would have on those men to see Dalinar stooping down to their level and doing a task that nobody wants to do. I mean, that sounds like a lot of hard work to be digging a trench in pure rock for this latrine or whatever it is. And, and Dalinar's jumping in to, to help out and do that for him. 
I would definitely be saying, dude, why are you wasting your time? But at the same time, I'd also be thinking, wow, he thought to, to come help us with our task. That's, that's pretty cool. And I think, I think it's Dalinar starting to act upon the stuff he's reading in, in way of Kings, not just listening and thinking about it. Now he's starting to do some of that stuff. Right. He's, he, as he discuss, as he debates in his mind over the way of Kings and all of this in his head, he's very hands-on and the fact that he's, doing the things that the way of kings is teaching kind of resolves in his mind that he needs to abdicate because he understands that i would not be doing this seven years ago when gavilar was still alive i have changed i have lost my taste for battle and so i need to abdicate and figure this out because i recognize that i am not the same person i was when i was given this position so that him digging a, a trench gives him clarity to, to abdicate. I like too, how it's very literally described as <clears throat> he's digging this trench. And as he's digging, he's, he's slowly making up his mind more and more. And he even realizes towards the end, right before Navani interrupts him, that he would have made up his mind. He would have made his decision exactly when he finished the trench just this idea of physical labor doing a doing a hard job helping you process something is is definitely something that I can relate to that's something I can do sometimes is is sometimes I just need a, a mindless task to, to keep myself busy while I'm thinking through something and that's exactly what Dalinar is is doing here right at the very end of the chapter we'll talk about the span read conversation with Yasna in a second but at the very end of the chapter he has a conversation with Navani and he speaks it out loud that he is going to abdicate that's how you know he's serious he he would not tell someone something unless he was prepared to do that and follow his word so the fact that he tells someone and is going to tell adolin in the morning his mind is made up he is he is going to abdicate and go back to kolinar Yeah, he is he's very much a man of his word, so so we'll see what happens with, with him. I guess going back to to the good old Colin estate. Um But yeah, I, I am very curious to talk about these span reads. Uh this old, I guess like a telegraph. Yep. Like that, kind of sending messages, uh transcribing almost. Um, and so Dalinar is communicating with Yasna, and uh, I thought it was also interesting that that Dalinar and Yasna kind of had like a little code between them. He he said a specific yeah. phrase to let her know that uh, that there were other people around, and so don't send anything, uh, you know, that you don't want other people knowing. Right, which is interesting. So. I guess slightly backing up though, can can you explain a little bit of what span reads are? Sure. So I don't know if I heard this from one of you guys, but somebody said this to me in the past that stormlight is their primitive form of electricity. They they light their streets with it. They light their houses with it. They power their couple different things with it, 
and they power their clocks with it, as we've seen in uh, old uh, old Hearthstone. And now they write messages with it. So there's a it's a piece of paper, and I kind of envision it as a clipboard, kind of. And it's got a stone in the top right and a big dot in the top left. And you spin the you spin the the gemstone to indicate indicate if you're about to write or if they're about to write and if you're ready that type of thing and the the gemstone in wherever you're writing to is going to do the same thing um so you're going to place the pen on the paper and it's going to write the same thing that the person's writing so you can draw pictures as they do in this chapter they can write back and forth to each other although dalinar himself doesn't write so he asks uh Adolin's newest love interest to do it for him and uh yeah so it's their primitive form of uh telegraph i guess i i gotta say it seemed like a pretty elegant solution to to use a, a small amount of magic to do this i thought when it was first starting to describe them that this is going to be some elaborate yasna's writing and then the words are magically know being transmitted through the air and appearing on on down our spanry but but it's actually a lot simpler than that all it is is the pen on down page is somehow tied to the pen on yasna's page and it's making the exact same movements which then just spells out all the exact same words or as we see later picture that's being spelled on 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 yasna's spanry which i thought that was pretty cool yep it's got it is a hard magic system, as they say. It has deliberate rules, and you know exactly how it works. Yeah. I also thought it was very cool. So talking about drawing a picture on there, uh, Yasta talks about mentions that she has a new ward, which I'm still assuming we know as Shalon. And so it's kind of the first little allusion to her in this part of the book. And so I guess... I mean, I imagine things are going well over there. Um, she's working closely with with Yasna, at least close enough to be to be present during this this uh, text message session. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that that was that was cool. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so we so we got a little glimpse of what Shalon is up to. Yeah, we got a Shalon reference. I noticed that too. Yeah, the Shalon draws a picture, which is in the book. It's not in my in my version. It's not on that chapter. It's a few chapters previous, and I I didn't actually realize this until this read that that was that picture that they, that she was drawing, and it's a very crude uh, picture of a chasm fiend, but the the painting or the the drawing itself is is good. But that's lit. I, I always saw that art and was like, that's kind of odd. And I didn't realize that that was supposed to be the literal drawing that Shalon was sending to Dalinar. That is yeah. I, I did notice that that too. And I, I appreciated having that in there. This, this isn't the first time we've actually seen some of what's supposed to be Shalon's sketches in some of the, the artwork in the book, which I thought was, was cool. Yeah. So, and so, go ahead. No, you got it. Okay. Uh, at the end of the Span Read conversation, Dalinar is talking with Navani about Yasta, 
And Dalinar has this interesting quote about Yasna and about honor. He mentions honor and Yasna in the same sentence, which a lot of Alethi would consider that blasphemous. But uh, uh, Navani asks Dalinar, why is it you trust my daughter so much when almost when others almost universal, universally revile her? I consider their disdain for her to be a recommendation, he said. She is a heretic. She refused to join any of the devotaries because she did not believe in their teachings. Rather than compromise for the sake of appearances, she has been honest and has refused to make professions she does not believe. I find that a sign of honor. Dalinar doesn't care what you believe as long as you believe it wholeheartedly he doesn't care if you disagree with him he just wants you to care about something he wants to he wants to have good like conversations and he does have good conversations with yasna and trusts her even though she doesn't believe the same things he does i i think too dalinar appreciates someone who's gonna give it to you straight. He doesn't like people like Sadius where he's he's constantly having to double double guess what is what is Sadius's motive, what's he trying to do here? Is he does he mean what he says? But he appreciates Yasna where yes, she's a heretic, but at least she's very upfront and open about it. She's she's going to just say, "Yeah, I'm a heretic. I don't believe that." And even if Dalinar doesn't agree with her, he still appreciates the fact that she's open and honest and straightforward and that's that's the kind of person he likes to deal with. And I think that is super interesting because because they they seem like very different people, um, and that she's very outspoken and would say what's on her mind. Whereas Dalinar, he does speak his mind, but very like selectively whenever he feels is appropriate to do so. Uh, more focused on uh, a deep sense of respect for for peers and those around him. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting that he, he seems to hold Yasna in very high regard. Uh, I also think it's interesting that he talks about how uh, other people's disdain for her is like a recommendation yes. to him because <laughs> he he's so fed up with how, uh, how I guess, the mass population or, or mass people look down upon things that he views as right. And so if he knows anything about his situation where um, he struggled with with people, you know, looking looking away or looking, discounting him as, as crazy because of uh, what he believes that he, if, uh, if someone else is also experiencing the same thing, he probably feels that kind of similarity there. He's, he's sick and tired of the superficial alethi high culture he wants people to exactly. talk to him straight like discuss things face to face instead of spread rumors and pretend to be there for the almighty and for gavilar but really they're just after gem hearts he wants he wants genuine sure i'm very happy to see that relationship i feel like that's an interesting relationship because they do have a lot of 
uh, character similarities, but they're very different people, very different. And I'm really curious um, to see kind of how the relationship develops uh, as we kind of go further into this. Speaking of relationships, it seems it seems clear that Yasna and her mother Navani have an interesting relationship. Yasna makes the the comment over the span read about watch out for her, and that not realizing that Navani's in the room there, hearing everything she's saying, and the, there's a little comment there about Navani you know, she sniffed or something like that when when that came across and. That that makes me curious. What's the what's the relationship there? Do they do they really not like each other, or is it maybe a little more playful than that? I I think there's more to discover there. Certainly, Navani has a very interesting relationship with everyone in her family, as far as I can tell. Yeah. So so I'm really curious to to see about that because that's two very strong personalities, um, kind of coming at each other. We also get uh, a few hints as to what Yasna is researching in Carbranth. She, it, she's the one who messages Dalinar, not the other way around. So she needs to talk about um, something that Dalinar knows and wants him to recap for her. And so she's researching something to do with the Chasm Fiends and the Parshendi. So... We know that. Yeah, I, I found that that interesting too, where she's probing for for more details on the the Parshendi, which makes me think that she's she's researching them. She's trying to learn more about them, which makes a lot of sense. They they killed Gavilar, and so I think she she probably is looking into his death and in a way she seems to be doing research maybe on the Parshendi about why they would do what they did and and that would hopefully maybe answer the questions that the the characters have and that also I have about the motives behind the Parshendi, why they're doing what they they're doing, where they come from, some of that stuff we already talked about. I I think Yasna is trying to find those same answers. It's my guess. Okay. So with that, any any closing thoughts on chapter 28 before we back up to part two in general? I have no more on chapter 28. I don't think so. Okay. I think we've covered it very well. So this ends part two. Part three, which we will get into next week, We'll be discussing, or we'll be back to Shalon. We'll be back to Shalon and Kaladin. And we'll get to see more of Carbranth after our interludes, of course, uh, which I know Paul's excited for. So, Very. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll go back to Shalon so we'll learn more about Shalon. Uh, any closing thoughts on part two as a whole? Yeah, I definitely do. I. I've been trying to look for sort of a, a theme or a takeaway from, from part two, since there seemed to be a very specific one from part one, which was the, the honor that we saw kept, kept popping up in, in all throughout part one. So I, I was thinking about what part two might be, and it, it didn't take me too long before I realized that I, I think my theme for part two is servant leadership, that 
that one word a single single phrase. single word yes 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 exactly that i used as as one of my words a, a couple episodes ago a few episodes ago i i think that the the concepts discussed in the book the way of kings that Dalinar's reading we, we first get exposed to that here in part two and, and that is a major theme running through all of these chapters is dalinar wrestling with what does it mean to be a leader what does it mean to be a servant leader and and really coming to that that final decision of i need to serve my people by by stepping down and and stepping aside and then also in the kaladin chapters kaladin's face with the the daunting task of getting all these bridge men to to follow him to care to actually put some effort into saving their lives and not just giving up and kaladin's put into a position of leadership over them but has to figure out how to motivate them and inspire them without being able to punish them like we talked about before and the answer that he finds is servant leadership it's he learns that he has to to serve them in order to get them to to follow him he he helps them he saves their lives he he spends all of his hard-earned money on making them a stew so they can have one night of of camaraderie and and song and I, I think that seems to be the lesson that both of our main characters in this section have have learned is what it means to be a leader and being a leader means serving those that you lead. It was a very it was a very cool part two and I, I enjoyed it a lot. Me too. I'm very excited for part three. Part two was was very, very enjoyable. Um you did a great job summarizing that. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the whole servant leadership as, as my thing too. I don't have any more to add to that. I think it's very well summarized. Well done, Elliot. And part three is not that. I'll say that. <laughs> I have a prediction for. I guess if if we we're saying part one is honor, part two is servant leadership. Part three, if we're going back to Shalon, I think it's going to be more about like wisdom or knowledge because, um, because that's what Shalon does. She's doing this. yes, that's her wardship and such. She's going to be learning a lot, and I think it's going to be uh, more on like an intellectual thing or like learning uh, rather than. I mean, that's like a character trait, but uh, less physical. Yes. Okay. I am. I'm very excited for um, mm -hmm. part three with you guys. There are some really good scenes in in part three that I'm very excited for for you guys to to read. So the only way to do that is to close up this episode and wait for next week. So let's do that. Thank you for thank you for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We'll reconvene with our interludes next week. Peace. Till next time.